0: Today we're talking about organization in Numbers chapter 3, so maybe I need to read that again, or more prayer. Thanks, JC. Your birthday? My birthday was awesome, got to listen to Joe Foch, got to listen to Damian Kyle, got to listen to a plethora of, man, do I have notes, and boy, are you guys in for it now. Oh, I tell you what, they taught me how to beat the sheep, and I'm going to, no. <laughs> Just a great time. I was out in California at the Senior Pastors Conference and at Raul Reese's Church there, and it was just a great time. Really good. All right, this morning we'll be in Numbers chapter 3 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Numbers 3. Well, the first thing God did when he got a hold of the nation of Israel was to teach them how to worship. The second thing he did, we learned last uh, week, was get ready for war. Um, the second or the third thing here uh, this morning, he's going to set things in order. This is symbolic of what God does in the Christian's life. The first thing we need to learn as Christians is how to draw near to him, as J.C. prayed this morning. To learn how to worship our God, because he's specific in the way he wants to be worshipped. It isn't, it isn't up to us to decide that, it's up to us to hear what he wants, and then we give it to him. And so he sets that in order for the nation of Israel, as he does for the church. The second thing, though, is for us to learn that we're in a battle, we're in a war. Satan isn't going to give up the ground that he currently, or that he had, which was your heart, Before Christ came and conquered your heart and you became a believer in Jesus Christ, that was his territory, and he's not going to give that up willingly. And so prepare for battle. Get ready for that. Understand that he's going to try to pull you back into the world, pull you back into the traps that you had been set free from, um, those snares that are set for us by our enemy. And so he warns them and gets them ready for their battles that they're going to have to fight once they come even into the promised land. But the third thing today Is about setting things in order. Our God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. He's not a God of uh, happenstance. He's got a specific plan, and he's unfolding it. Um, We don't get to know all the steps, but he does take us through the steps. It's even in the plan of salvation. The first thing Jesus says about himself is, I am the way. He is the truth, and he is the life, but he's the way. That's the first thing. You've got to know that there's a specific door to go through. It's not any door. It's not any path. It's not any set of instructions. It's his way. It's the only way. And so in Numbers chapter 3 here, he begins to tell the nation of Israel, I want you to start numbering the Levites. I want to set things in order. How are we going to pack this tabernacle up? Who's going to do it? Where are you going to camp? We learned a little bit about that last week, but this week's going to be the Levites, the tribe of Levi that wasn't counted, but they're going to be counted this morning. In verse 1 now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai and these are the names of the sons of Aaron Nadab the firstborn and Abihu Eleazar and Ithamar these are the names of the sons of Aaron the anointed priests whom he consecrated to minister as priests Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai and they had no children so uh, Eliezer and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. The first thing God does is sets up a hierarchy. He does. He sets up a CEO. Who's going to be in charge of the worship? It's going to be Aaron. Who's going to be under his authority? All the Levites. And they're going to do this and they're going to Help him because obviously he can't do it by himself. But he does set it up so that Aaron, uh, Aaron's going to be the overseer, and then all these guys are going to come alongside and help. And he says, "I'm giving them entirely to him. They're they're his to use." When you get set aside and consecrated for a purpose, that means you're you can't be used for anything else. Uh, and that goes without saying, but sometimes we forget that um, in your job or anything else, you'll find. When you first start a job, and if if your if your job description isn't clearly defined, you'll find yourself getting off on things you're like, and that's okay. Remind yourself as a Christian that you're getting paid by the hour to give them your time, and you do whatever they ask you to do. But it all it isn't the best use of your time. A lot of times, you you may be an engineer at the company, but someone spilled in the bathroom and you're not clearly defined. So they take the engineer who's getting paid $85,000 a year and puts him in the bathroom to get the job cleaned up. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly he's capable or she's capable of doing that, but it isn't the best use. And so when you're set aside, when you are consecrated for a specific job, it's best you stay to that task as opposed to getting sidetracked. God here specifically says to them, I want the tribe of Levi to be set aside to be used for this purpose. Don't drag them off to battle. Don't drag them off to uh, go farm. Don't drag them off to start doing this, that, or the other thing. I need them focused on this. And that's important. We saw that in the New Testament when the disciples were discovering that the uh, the, the Jewish uh, widows, some of the Greek Jewish widows, they were... They were um, half and half, weren't getting their daily distribution like they were supposed to. And the, you know, the complaints go, they go up, that's how complaints go, they travel all the way up, and they said, it's not good for us to leave the Word of God and, and, to, and, and prayer to go serve tables, we need to set some people up so that they can do this. Now there's nothing wrong with those guys doing it, and certainly they were taught that by Jesus to go ahead and serve tables, and they can, and they can do that, no big deal, but it isn't the best use. Let's find some guys that aren't teaching. Let's find some guys that aren't called to be in charge of like this brand new church thing that Jesus set up. Let's find some guys that can wait on the tables. And, and sure enough, they did. They found seven men full of the Holy Spirit to go ahead and take care of that task so that these guys weren't taken off track. They weren't, um, it wasn't the best use of their time, obviously. And so God's setting things up in order. He's a God of order. He wants them to know that. And so um, I'm giving them to you. Now use them properly, though, you know. Make sure everything's taken care of the way it's supposed to be taken care of. But don't let them get sidetracked and and used in any other way. I want them to be exclusive to this. Now, later on in the history of Israel, we're going to see that these guys eventually do get distracted from what they're supposed to be doing. They do get taken away. They weren't. Uh, they weren't the people didn 't think much of them they didn 't really care about the temple, the tabernacle at the time they didn 't care about what was going on and all of a sudden they came in to see what 's going on and they find out the the levites and they 're all out there farming and doing everything else and they weren 't doing what they were supposed to be doing, which is taking care of the needs of the tabernacle and taking care of the needs of the congregation. They were off because they had to because they had to provide they had to take care of their families it just wasn 't there anymore and so God says, I want you guys to stay focused. Remember, that's God's original intent. I want you to do this one thing, order. You're going to see that throughout this chapter. Verse 10, so you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend uh, to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. No one else could do this. They were the only ones. It's not like someone could just swap out with them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. He's changing something here, isn't he? He used to say, all the firstborn are mine, and they would have to offer up a certain sacrifice. He says, not anymore. I'm specifically speaking of this group right here. They're mine. I want them to be mine. They're consecrated to me. As soon as they're born, they are going to serve at the tabernacle and eventually the temple. But they're going to serve me. That's what they're called to do. This whole tribe is set aside for me. So he's replacing it. Instead of the firstborn of everybody, I just want these Levites now. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Now I pause there, because so far everything, it's, it's God's choosing. God's been saying it. Um, prayerful, pla- prayerful planning um, is important. Um, the idea... Or, or the thought may come into their minds, and it does later on in this, in this wilderness experience, um, they begin to think that this was Moses' plan, that it originated with him, that this is something that he came up with. In fact, Miriam and Aaron confront him on this. Saying, Can't we all do this? Don't we all have the filling of the Holy Spirit? Don't they had forgotten the very first sentence in, in all these chapters and all these paragraphs. Or The Lord spoke this. Moses is just implementing what God has said. we got to be careful about thoughts and ideas that come into our mind. Oh, well, I don't know why we're doing it that way, or I don't know why we're doing that. Well, hopefully you've prayed it through. You've heard from God, and you're following the plan because you believe God spoke to you and told you to do this, and you, and you, and you go on that. By, by faith we walk. Not only by faith do we re- get saved, not only by faith do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but by faith we walk with God. And we pray about things, and we seek the Lord, and we want to know His direction. And then when we feel like we've got that direction, we go with that based on the fact that we're following His leading, not our own planning. So there can be planning, but it needs to be prayerful. We need to wait for God to, to speak. Now, that's important because all these things that we've discussed so far are what God has asked I want you to do this. But it's easy after the original order has been given from God years later to forget that this was his idea. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't a man's plan. It wasn't a, you can't second guess it then. When you remember that it's God that told you to do that, you never have to worry about the expectations you may have or the fruit of it. God brings the increase or or doesn't bring the increase. It's completely up to him. All you did was follow through with his plan. And so be encouraged in that. When you're planning, when you're thinking ahead, when you're trying to figure out what the next step is, to be prayerful in it. And I don't mean throw it up and say, God, here's my idea, I'm running with it, I hope you bless it. That's not exactly prayerful planning. Prayerful planning is to lay out the situation before God. Lay out your life before God. My my life is no longer my own. I I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Christ. And so I lay it out before you, God. What would you have me do with this life? I mean, I had a whole lot of ideas and thoughts before I got saved, but now that I'm saved and I'm eternity minded and I'm thinking about living forever with you, and that's really my goal, (laughs) I got long term goals now. That's to get into heaven and to be pleasing to you. What do you want me to do today? Because it might not have been my plan. That's prayerful planning. And then you wait for him to speak. And you wait for him to answer you. And when you feel like you've got a direction from God, you go, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it because you've told me to do it. I'm going to go with it because you've asked me to do this. And I'll always remember that, that I waited and prayed and I left it in your hands. And when you told me to do it, I ran with it. And whether there's an increase or whether there's no increase, I did what you told me to do. I was an obedient kid. I was an obedient servant. That's all God's asking of any of us. That's all God's asking of them. And from the very beginning, he sets these things in order, and he never stops all the way through Revelation. Do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about the outcome. Do what I tell you to do. And with that kind of command, with that kind of instruction from God, that means I need to be praying about everything that I'm thinking about doing. Every day of my life, every five-year plan, every ten-year plan needs to be his, not mine. I've been commanded to do that. I've got a great example. And... And this is the bonus for all of us. <laughs> it's his problem. I love that. God, n- nothing's happening, but it's your plan, you know? And I, I say that in, in a, as respectful as I can, but I don't have to carry that burden. I don't have to have that on my shoulders. Did I do something wrong? Was this what you, if, Now, if it's your plan, you, you own it. But if it's his plan, he owns it. They're your people, Moses would say to him. They're your problem, he would say to his God. And at times God says, I don't know if they're my people or your people. You'll see that go back and forth between these two. Prayerful planning, so important. Um, we've, uh, Legos are a big thing in our house. Um, You know the whole adage that men just don't like instructions. We don't like instructions. We don't like to read the instructions. And I don't know if that's necessarily that we don't like to know how to do something or get instruction from people. It's that we have poor comprehension skills. That's my problem. I read this stuff. I'm like, I don't really understand what they're trying to tell me to do. There is no slot B. Okay? I've looked for slot B. There's no slot B. I found C, D, F, A, all the way to Z. There's no slot B. I don't know what you're talking about. I have a hard time with that. So Legos. Legos, now you open them up, and it's all pictorial. Shows you exactly how many pieces you need for this step. Shows you where they go. And you just do that. And then you go to the next step. And sometimes it's, even, it's a little slow for me as I'm helping my kids put all their Legos together. I'm like, okay, okay. What's this look like in the end? I think I can figure this out. I can't even handle the pictorial instructions because I'm so impatient. And when I get ahead of myself, I find out, now this, where's this, this great, that's not going to line up right. That's because I skipped a step in the Lego. So I got to go back and go from the very beginning and they've designed it that way. And I've got to go step by step and follow the instructions. And if I would relax and have patience and just do step by step, it's going to turn out exactly like the picture. It's going to look just like it. Every piece will be used and it's going to look just like the picture. God's given us a set of instructions for our salvation, first of all, for warfare, in our spiritual warfare that we have to go through. And he's also given us instructions on how to just walk with him each and every day. And comprehension or not, it's very simple. It's very simple. We follow Jesus. We don't lead Jesus. We don't even walk beside Jesus. He walks with us. But I hate for him to be tugging on my coat saying, why are you going in this direction? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he's pulling on my coats. You know, where are you going, dude? The turn was back there, you know? But you're so caught up in whatever it is you're caught up in, you're not prayerful, you're not paying attention to me, and you're not following my leading, Jesus would say to us. It's order. There's a specific plan, a specific path for us. He has good works for us to walk in. And if we follow his path, if we follow his simple instructions day by day, we're going to hit every one of those things. We're going to get to do all the things he had planned for us. Prayerful planning, so important. So he switches. Instead of the firstborn of everybody, I just want the Levites. Verse 14, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. That's different. For war, it was 20 and above. But for the Levites, a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he, com- as he was commanded, as he was commanded, as he was commanded, as he was commanded. I can't emphasize that enough. These were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Mirar. Mirar. Oh, wow. Merari, Ferrari. that's, okay, Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shimei, and the sons of Kohath by their families, uh, Amram, Izhar, and Hebron, and Uziel, and the sons of uh, Merari by their names, Mahali uh, and Mushi, and these are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. From Gershon came the family of the... Uh, Libanites, so that's where the ites start coming from, the Jewish ites version. You've got the Girgashites and all those others, you know, and and this is the ites. Uh, The family of the Shemites, these are the families of the Gershonites. Uh, Those who were numbered, according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. That's our first number. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. Remember how we set up the camps last week for everybody else? Now the Levites actually get divided up into four groups, and they have to camp specifically by family around there. 7,500 of them, you are going to be uh, westward. The leader of the father's house of the Gershonites um, was Eliasaph, the son of uh, Lael. The duties, so they've actually got specific jobs, of the children of the Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its coverings, the screen, Uh, For the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords according to all the work relating to them. So that's your job. Not only are you a Levite, but here's what you do while you're a Levite you do this thing, you handle these implements, and you take care of those implements while they're set up. That's what you do. That's it. I don't have to worry about what uh, the the Kohaths are doing next door. I don't have to worry about um, what the Meraris are doing. I don't have to even worry about what Aaron's doing. All I have to worry about are these things right here. This is my responsibility. And to be content with that. To be content with what God's placed in front of you to do. These are the tasks he's given me. I love knowing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I hate it when I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's very hard for me. It's just how I am. I like to know, just tell me exactly what you want me to do, and that's what I'll do. I remember when I was being trained up to be a pastor, he wouldn't tell me what I'm supposed to do. He'd leave it up to my opinion sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to know what my opinion is. I want to know what you want me to do exactly. He's trying to make me a man of prayer. He's trying to get me to seek God. He's trying to get me on my knees to find out what God would have me do, to think about the people first. How would God want me to treat these people? How would he want me to take care of these people? What's the best thing for them? And then you do it, no matter how much it costs, no matter how much it takes, no matter how much time it takes. That's exactly what you do. You do it to your best of your ability to make sure that the people are taken care of. made me a man of prayer so important. They give me a hard time about being too strict on the chairs. It's important. It's important to do it just right. It's important to make sure that people can slip in and slip out if they can. We pack a lot of chairs in here. Now, if we took out two rows, eh, we'd be all right with a little wiggle room. But we don't have two rows to take out. We have to put every one of these chairs in here to make sure people are comfortable and have a place to sit without making them uncomfortable. Everybody needs to be able to see so they're not doing this throughout the service. They need to be in order. The aisles need to be wide enough so that people don't bump into the wall or knock people's shoulders when they're walking outside. It's precise for a reason because we're tight, we're packed, because we're blessed with a lot of people. It's exciting. Now, we could make it easier and tell half of you to go home and then it'd be easier to set up or we could tell everybody to leave, pack up all the chairs, and then we wouldn't even have to clean. It'd be simple. Ministry easy. We just don't let anybody come place looks great you know people of prayer find out what god wants and do it exactly like he wants you to do it make sure that the people are taken care of do the best you can absolutely excellence he's telling them exactly what to do he's giving them exactly what god's called them to do and that's all you have to worry about you make sure those screens are hung like they're supposed to make sure they're repaired if they get ripped Make sure they're exactly the way they're supposed to do. That's your job. Make sure you walk in here so that when it's time to open the doors and people are coming to worship, that everything's right where it's supposed to be. And they're ready. From Kohath came the family of the Amorites, the family of the um, Issaharites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side, so that's where they camp. Here's where you sleep, here's where you stay. And the leaders of the father's house of the families of the Kohathites uh, was uh, Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duties included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, which they ministered. The screen, and all the work related to them, that's what they did. You take care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar utensils. You make sure those are in place, that they're taken care of, that they're um, carried, basically. Now, th- they don't get to do other than that. They have, to, they, they have to wait for this stuff to get all taken care of and set up, and then all they did was carry it and make sure it was, uh, got, got to the next place, and, and then others would set it up, but that was their job to take care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils. No more, but no less. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. From Merari came the family of the Mahalites and the family of the Mushites. Uh, These were the families of Merari. And those who were Uh, numbered, according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, were 6,200. The leader of the father's house of the family of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abahel. These were to camp um, on the north side of the tabernacle. And their appointed duties of the Meraris were the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work related to them. And the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. That was a heavy job. They had a heavy job. The guys that had the cloth. Of course, that tabernacle, did, it weighed quite a bit. It was pretty thick. But these guys, had, they were in charge of all the sockets and the boards. Okay, That's what they would do. Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons. They got the entrance. That's the focal point. That's where everybody would come in. That's where Aaron and his sons, would, they would camp there keeping charge of the sanctuary, to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord, at the commandment of the Lord, at the commandment of the Lord, by their families. All the males from, the, from a month old and above were 22,000. Now he's going to do some math here. Remember he said he took the firstborn of everybody in Israel. Now he's just taking... Uh, the Levites, he wants to see the difference here. So he's going to ask them to count everybody else. And they're going to count everybody else, and the number's going to be 22,273. So there's a 273-person discrepancy. He's going to make that up here. It seems strange to me as I read this stuff. And some of you are like, I can't believe we're studying numbers. You see an attribute of God in the book of Numbers that you don't see anyplace else. That's why we study these things you don't get this anyplace else. He's worried about 273 people out of 2 million. Do you know what kind of percentage that is? That's pretty low. It's pretty insignificant. But he counts every single one of them. Every one of them is important. Every one of them has to be redeemed. Every one of them has to be bought at a price. Every one of them. And so I want you to count. He doesn't need us to count. I think we've covered that, haven't we? God doesn't need me to count the chairs in this room. He knows exactly how many here, and yet I count them. He wants us to be a part of this. He wants us to be thinking like he thinks. I think that's our biggest, my biggest problem sometimes. He wants me to start thinking like he thinks. I don't think right. I round up. I round down. I make it as easy as possible for me. But God doesn't. No, I want you to be very, very careful. You you, you see the military movies. You've seen it in movies. Maybe you are in the military, and you see them on their hands and feet, scrubbing down the tile with a toothbrush, getting the grout, you know? And you're like, oh, God, those wacky military guys. Boy, they're really putting them through it, aren't they? Boy, they're just really demeaning them, making them feel small. That's only part of it. That is part of it, though. The other part of it is, I want you guys to all start thinking with attention to detail. I want you to start seeing the small things. Yeah, the mission is big, the mission is broad, but it's made up of all these tiny little individual pieces. And you've got to be paying attention to all the small things. So, yes, I want you to pay attention to the grout, because if you don't, who will? And it's going to get gross in the bathrooms. And once the grout's gross and you've discovered that you don't really worry about that so much, the floor isn't much to look at. So we just kind of ignore the floor. We ignore that. Everybody just wear flip-flops when you go in there. It'll be okay. Moving on. And that's how we think. And it takes week after week of the people in charge to drill it into the privates and the PFC's minds. You need to pay attention to detail because if you don't, by the time we're done and you become a general, we're going to be rounding up and rounding down. I think we lost upwards near 3,000 men that day on the battlefield. 3,000, 3,500, could have been 4,000, not quite sure. That's important. It translates. Ministry is the same way. We need to be attention to detail oriented. We have to pay attention because the ministry is made up of details. People aren't in the way. People are the details. Everybody is very important. Every child, every baby, every teacher, every servant who works here. Details, so important. And God is driving that home in this text through numbers. It's difficult to read. It's difficult to understand. You are not rounded in to the family of God. You're not just one of the numbers. You have a very specific job. Every one of us does. You, you alone are called to do this one thing and to do it well and to do it with excellence. I don't know what that is. What is it? The only way you're gonna know. Why don't you tell me, J.D., what that is? I, I I don't know, you have to be a man or woman of prayer. Find out what it is exactly that God wants you to do in his kingdom right now before you get to heaven. What does God want me to do? And I need to do it wholeheartedly as unto him. It could be taking care of your parents. I'm in that season right now. I get to go up Friday and Saturday for my dad's hand surgery and take care of him in ways that my sister probably would rather not take care of him. And I'll leave it at that. That's my job right now. And, the, and many other things I get to do right now. But that's it. Some of them are seasonal, like that. Some of them are permanent. I'm a pastor. I'm going to be a pastor. This is what I do. That's permanent. That's not going to change. Other things come in and out of my life, but that never, I'm always going to be a husband. I'm always going to be a father. I'm going to be a grandfather. Those things don't change. What is it that God's called you to do? And are you doing it with excellence? Are you paying attention to the details? They're very important. They're very important. 22,000. Hey, there's a 273-person discrepancy. What do we do about that? Verse 44, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of the, of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel of 20 uh, garas. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not. And you shall give the money with which uh, the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. Don't leave them out. They're not lost. Some look at that, and uh, I read some of the commentaries, and this is how they got a little bit more money. First of all, God doesn't need any money at all. He made everything. He made the money in my pockets and the elements that, are made, that, that make it up. He did all that. He doesn't need my money at all. That's not the message here. The message is 273 people were redeemed. That's the message. They weren't rounded out, rounded up, rounded under, whatever. He knew them. I want you to count them. Not 270, not 250 plus. 273 people need to be redeemed. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over. And above, those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, not 64, not 66, 3,665, according to the shekel, the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's our redeemer. It's very specific. I don't need any more than Jesus, but I certainly don't need any less than Jesus either. I have to have Christ. I must have the Savior that God provided. I must be redeemed by the way He's prescribed us to be redeemed. And so does the rest of the world. Don't lose that. Don't lose sight of that. As the world is rounding down and rounding up and saying all roads lead to heaven, and don't be so specific on that. Don't be such a stickler in that area. Can't you let that go? I can because I'm a man, but God doesn't, and I follow him. Every word of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every single word that proceeds from the mouth of God, none of it can be left out. None of it. I want to close with this. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 14, and then we'll have communion here. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 33, in the New Testament, as the church was getting things together and they were in the Corinthian church, they get to be our scapegoats, they're the, they're the, the, the students and the teachers at the same time of how we're supposed to walk. They were living and worshiping in an unprescribed way, in a, in a way that was out of order. And Paul has to write to them, and we're getting to that on Wednesday evenings, but we'll, we'll get to this eventually, that I need you guys to change the way you do things there at the Corinthian church. I want, to, if you're going to speak in tongues, one or two at the most. And if they do speak in tongues, I want there to be an interpreter. And he says this at the end in verse 33 of going through all these things that need to change. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God loves order. And I think it's interesting that he equates order with peace. He doesn't say God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of order. He says it's the, he's the author of peace. You want to have peace in your life? Live orderly. Live according to God's order. There's peace there. We tell our kids they've got to clean their rooms. Sometimes as you're wading through the stuffed animals, we had to buy some bins yesterday. We try to get rid of the stuffed animals. We stick them in the garbage bags. We get them outside to the garage, but the kids find them. Hey, these are ours. Oh, <laughs> well, you found those, did you? And I'm not so cold-hearted as to toss them into the bonfire and say, well, they're not yours anymore. That's what I'd like to do sometimes. We've got a lot of them. Instead, they begin to pull them out, and they look at them, they have affection for every one of these things. I don't know why, but they do. I suppose I did when I was a kid, too. Thank you, Mick. Um, so we bought bins because we were tired of going through their room and not being able to see the floor anymore, and it's amazing. Evangeline, you vacuumed your room yesterday, just normal, typical routine stuff, but we got to bed last night, and we're putting everybody to bed, and, and Evangeline said, she goes, look at that floor. I said, it's nice, isn't it, when you walk into a room, and first of all, you can see the floor, I bet you can't see the floor this morning, can you? After It's Sunday morning clothes, you know. You gotta go wear this, wear this. But last night it was great. And you can go to sleep having peace because the house is in order. The room was in order. It was clean. It was vacuumed. The stuffed animals were put away. It was just nice to be there. That's just so symbolic of our lives. It's just nice to have some order. Get rid of the chaos and the clutter. Simplify things. One of the things Joe Foch taught, I was one of the best teachings I've ever heard in my entire life was Joe Foch's teaching on John the Baptist this, this week. Unbelievable. I learned so much. As a pastor, you'd think you would be done by now. You kind of got it. <laughs> I don't have nothing. But when he chose, God chose to bring into the world the man who was most blessed above all men born unto women. That's Jesus' description of John the Baptist. He's got the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's it. That was his ministry. I want you to prepare and make straight the ways for my son, the Messiah, who's coming. You're going to be the greatest prophet that's ever lived, but you talk about a decluttered life. You're going to live in the wilderness. You're going to eat two things. You don't have to choose what kind of clothes you're going to wear because it's going to be camel hair every single day. You're going to eat locusts and wild honey. You don't have to decide. That's it. And you're going to have two things to do. Be filled with my spirit and preach my word. That's it. In fact, you don't even have to leave the wilderness. They'll come to you. Decluttered, you know. Peace. Absolutely knew what he was going to do every single morning. Woke up with a purpose and a plan. Was not distracted by a thing. Now, if you all come with camels here next week. But isn't there some things we could throw out? I bet there's a lot of stuff if you went through it and say, you know, this is just unnecessary. This is something that's distracting me. I mean, if I really am eternity minded, if I really am thinking about living for God and not for myself right now. I imagine there's some things that are in the way. Now, this is where that prayerful planning comes into play. Don't just start throwing stuff out because you don't know. When we were discussing on where to build this new church shed, well, it should just go right where the other one was. I said, no, I got rid of that on purpose so you can see when you drive in. Well, maybe it should go down over there. I don't think so. I think I'm going to put it clear over there. And there were a lot of people that were like, why? Why? we got to walk from this building clear over there. you got to do that. I said, I don't know why. I just think it should be over there. First of all, we don't want to see it all the time. I had a lot of manly reasons for putting it over there. There's another entrance over there. We can go over there, go up and out. There's a lot of thinking behind that. And then a couple months later, the guy next door says, hey, you want to buy our land? And now that sheds, maintenance shed, is right in the middle. Now, I didn't prayerfully hear from God saying, soon men will be calling you to buy land. I didn't hear any of that, but I knew what he did tell me to do, put that there, okay? And I didn't go by sight, I went by faith. And now it's right in the middle, where it's supposed to be. It's a perfect placement for it, but that's because God did it. Because I don't have a plan, because I don't know what to do, and neither do you. And you gotta admit that. But I will do today what he has asked me to do. Today I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. You know? And it'll be perfect for tomorrow if I do what I'm supposed to do today. And I'll be right where I'm supposed to be to start tomorrow if I do what I'm supposed to do today. And if I stay with that mindset my whole life, prayerfully planning, being right where God wants me to be, I'm always going to be primed and ready for the next step. And I won't have to backtrack anymore. Now, We've got communion in our hands. The guys were very efficient. I like that. That's great. We move right into it. This is to remind us of that. You know, Jesus had the plan, and while we were still enemies, he died on the cross for us, despite all the naysayers and Peter being the chief among them. I'm going to die on the cross. No, you're not, Jesus. Far be it from you. Get behind me, Satan. I wonder how many times that's happened in my life where God's told me here's what he's going to do, and I'm like, that's a bad idea, God. Get behind me, Satan. And so he goes to the cross, despite everybody telling him he shouldn't go. He accomplishes something amazing. And I think every time I have this communion, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, there's a lot to remember. First of all, that I'm forgiven for my sins because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he did it. He accomplished it. It was his plan and his idea. And I'm thankful for that. But also, there's a whole lot going on here that when nobody else on the earth knew, he did. And to live that way. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to get diagnosed with. I don't know what you're going to get diagnosed with. I don't know whether I'll have a house to live in tomorrow. I don't know. But God does. And so as we eat and drink this, reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that we're saved by a plan that only he knew about and implemented by himself that we've now agreed is a good plan. I want to remind myself that whatever he has for me next is probably going to be a good plan too and perfect and way above and beyond what we could ask or think. And So thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. As we hold this cup of juice in our hands, we're reminded that you said, this is the cup of my new covenant and the cup that we're drinking right now isn't the cup of your wrath which will be poured out in a Christ-rejecting world in the book of Revelation in the last days during the great tribulation period, We'd, we don't drink from that cup because you died on the cross for our sins. We drink from the cup of salvation. We remember that this morning. We hold the bread in our hands, which you said represented your broken body for us. It's not our broken body that, that by all rights should have been us on the cross. It isn't. And you replaced us. You took all of that wrath, that whole cup of wrath that you asked your father in the garden if it could pass from you, let it pass. But it couldn't, and so you took it. And your body was broken instead of mine. And we're thankful for that this morning, God. And we remember you this morning. That your plan is always the best. You're always looking out for our best interests. Thank goodness you didn't listen to Peter or anybody else that told you not to go to the cross because we'd all still be in our sins if we had if you'd listen to us. So God, help us to listen to you. Help us to do what you ask us to do. And to do it wholeheartedly every single day with excellence, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's eat. God, you thank, we thank you for this time we've had together. Um, we have our own quiet times. We study the Bible on our own. Um, we have our own prayer life. But God, when we come together, it's something special about it, Lord. We're reminded of what eternity is going to be like with you, singing songs together like a choir, hearing your word, being in your presence, um, allowing your Holy Spirit to move through a body, not just an individual part. Uh, We thank you for that, God. So this morning, whatever you spoke to us in your word, whatever you've showed us, whether that's to declutter, whether that's to be prayerfully planning, whatever it may be, God, help us now to go out and do it. To not be confused with hearing being obedience, but with doing it is obedient. So God, help us to do now what you've asked us to do, what you've showed us to do. For the encouragement this morning, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for encouraging us, um, coming alongside of us, Lord, um, showing us. Yeah, you're walking in the right direction. You're doing the right thing. Um, Thank you for that. We need to hear that from you. We need to hear those encouraging words from our Father. And so we thank you for that this morning. Um, Lord, bless these folks as they go today. Uh, You have a lot of good works for them to walk in this week. I pray that every one of them would find every one of the good works, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.